Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, everybody. Why we love film. An examination of great cinema. Of great cinema. Or cinema, or just cinema. in general. Or shitty cinema. Or shitty cinema. Maybe we'll get into that, too. Maybe we'll talk about what we don't like. Yeah. That, you know, with every uh, with everything that's great, you know, there's got to be a counterpart just to show why something is better. <laughs> yeah. Why we love things more than others. We're trying to figure out what to talk to you guys about and share, and we wanted it to have some type of value. Because that's like, what we ma- always try to do. That's what we try to do. We don't like to just bullshit yeah. all the time. That's not really our, our game, but we we're do, not, we're maybe we not. We want to give you a little bullshit, you know, because yeah. it's entertaining. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, whatever. I think, but we're think not trusting the- ourselves with that level of charisma at this <laughs> point in time <laughs> to just be like, yeah, we'll just no. sit here and we'll talk about fucking anything. And, uh, <laughs> and you'll love it. You'll just eat it up. No, <laughs> not, we, not um, maybe tune into a later podcast for some real bullshit yeah (laughs) maybe we'll get there um honest trailers i i love when they did um they did a breakdown of guardians of the galaxy and they were basically just saying like how marvel could just really do anything like like we'll just put up anything on the screen and you're gonna eat it up because we're Marvel. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's kind of true. Yeah. Like, doesn't really matter. Like, they can. That's why they they just pull anything out of their out of their stable right now. It's just like, oh, it's oh. a Marvel movie. Boom. Yeah. There's a couple hundred million dollars. Like, which is a like good that. part of this conversation. We should talk about the pre-sold franchise. Yeah. Because yeah, we'll uh, that. you know. Uh, like working with clients and stuff, I'll have clients be like, yeah, well, you know, Marvel did this movie. I'm like, that's Marvel. Like everyone read that comic. Like you don't get to do the same things Marvel does. Like everybody already knows this and like, or it already has the cloud of Marvel behind it. So you don't get, yeah. yeah. And Mar exactly like Marvel, I think has built a certain kind of clout. Yeah. And I'm not, that's not to say that all of their movies, uh, since this whole kind of crazy comic book film crusade, has been going on, have been good, have been good. Like I, they've put out some, they put out some duds, but you know, they pretty consistently put something out that's entertaining, you know, like it might not rewrite, you know, the script in any way, shape or form, but something that's entertaining, you know, like even the mediocre stuff is like, I was entertained. I'll maybe never watch that again, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, well, and they're bringing these superheroes to life. They're, I mean, they yeah. have all sorts of things working for them. They have nostalgia. Like, if you read the comics, and all of a sudden these comics are being brought to life, I mean, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Know? It's like when a video game gets turned into live action. It's kind of exciting, even if it's absolute oh, shit. Oh, yeah, I know. There's the, um, because there's <laughs> the new Assassin's Creed Assassin's movies Creed. coming yeah, out, and it. I'm just like, I've, I've seen the trailers, and I don't know what to think about it, because I, I really love, you know, the games of that that I've played. And I love Michael Fassbender. Yeah. So I'm probably going to see it. <laughs> I know that's the thing, right? Even like, no matter what opinions I have of it going into it, I might go into it thinking that this is going to be a big giant pile of crap, but 
Oh, there's 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going in to see it. Well, there's, um, you know, it's that extra leverage of, uh, you know, it being pre-sold content basically. And I think that's an important thing to understand when you're like making movies, especially if you want to, you know, like make the blockbuster big movies and stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, like pre-sold franchises get away with stuff that, um, spec scripts and, you know, indie film and stuff doesn't get away with it. It has a, you know, it has a people that are already interested. I mean, people are making YouTube videos right now that are basically just like, um, they'll take some video game or some comic book or something and they'll make a version of it live action and it'll get like hundreds of thousands of hits and millions of hits yeah. because people just want to see this thing get turned into live action. Yeah. You know, like I love that game when I was growing up, Metal Gear Solid. And like mm. some people have made some fan films and some of them have been actually not too bad, you know, considering some of them is absolute, absolute crap. But anytime there was a live action version of it, I always wanted to see it. Cause I was like, I want to see what they tried to do here. Yeah. You know? And like, sometimes you get some people who will put something together and they'll, they'll really like do something cool with it. And sometimes, you know, people will kind of, it's almost like too much fanboy and it just doesn't, yeah. It doesn't doesn't have a mass appeal. Yeah. It's kind of like too much. Like they tried to like honor the video game too much and then it doesn't work. But, um, yeah. So we can talk about the, uh, the whole pre-sold franchise. We can talk about our favorite movies. We can talk about our least favorite movies. Yeah. That was sort of how, um, this topic got settled, settled upon was, or at least that's where we, we began was just saying like, okay, well, why don't we talk about some of our favorite movies? I know your two favorite, our favorite films. And, uh, you, you, I don't even know if like, I know the one that's consistently like my favorite, your film. number two favorite film is whiplash. There's a good possibility <laughs> of that. <laughs> okay. Or it's from, number three, from modern, it's, it's from Dan modern times. Yeah. To number two. Your number one, do you want to tell them? Or do you want to tell them? It's a little bit about rock, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, my favorite, my Tiny. favorite film is, um, is almost famous. Almost famous. Um, great Cameron Crowe flick yeah. that he did after Jerry Maguire, I believe. And so I think he did it after Jerry Maguire, but before Vanilla Sky. So let's just do this. If you're like one of those people, it's like, Oh, don't ruin this movie for me. Cause I haven't seen cinema for like the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to tell you some of our favorite films. So you can like tune out of this podcast and go click on something else and go watch these movies. And then you can come back and you can join us for a real conversation. Yeah. <laughs> because we are going to, uh, we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about them. And, and we're not going to like try to be polite and like go, oh, I don't want to ruin the ending, but yeah, no, because we're going to, uh, dissect these a little bit, mm-hmm. um, in terms of their structural form as well as probably just some of our personal emotional, uh, attachments to them, you know? Cause I think that for me, it's like, you know, when I'm on Netflix and stuff, you know, you review like all of your films, you give them your four or five, yeah. three star, whatever it is. Uh, Netflix, by the way, still waiting for a half star option yeah. to come. Some like, deserve it. Oh my God. Cause yeah, like there's some films I'm like, well, I liked it better than a three, but it wasn't a four, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, just, yeah. but anyhow, and there's some that I'm like, I can't, I can't believe I even have to give this one. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even deserve one yeah. star. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but, um, and, and sometimes it even says that like before going into it, like it actually shows like half star rating sometimes. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it's just because it's an average. They do yeah. an average of it. But you don't get to do an average. You've no, got to pick one side or the other. Yeah. Maybe that's good for us. Maybe. Yeah. Just make a decision. Keep it simple. Okay, Any- so let's go over a couple movies. So we're going to talk about Whiplash. We're going to talk about... Uh, we're going to talk about Almost Famous. Almost Famous. We're going to talk about Fight Club. We're going to talk about Fight Club. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Wolf on Wall Street. That's another one of my oh, favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we got to talk about, well, Rocky. Okay. Just want to, I mean, let's just list off a few. Like let's, let's kind of give them a All preamble right. so they know. And they it like, I mean, you know, we're probably talking about movies, like not the most recent ones. And plus this podcast comes out, this episode will be released a little bit later. So basically if you haven't seen movies, you haven't been going out to see movies and you know, so this is either a good way to welcome you into movies or, um, you know, and these are classics. Oh, Goodfellas. I want to talk about that. Goodfellas. Oh yeah. Um, and so the departed, the departed. Let's get Goodfellas. some Scorsese. Yeah, just like, just lot. load it with Scorsese. Yeah. And probably Why even not? the aviator. I don't know if that's one of my favorite, but I want to throw some notes in on that one. Yeah. Maybe um, Forrest Gump. Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump is, yes, is one absolutely. of my absolute favorites yeah. for sure. So, um, come on, name some more. Oh, Jesus. Uh, what else you got for us? What else I've got? Well, you know what? Let's let, I want to get Scarface. into, into, you know, I watched a little bit of Scarface again recently mm-hmm. and it's, it's good. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit dated. Yeah. Like there are some, some styles, like stylistically, there's some things about it that just don't really hold up. Um, but you're watching that movie for Pacino. Yeah. I mean, and as, and a lot of other performances, there's fantastic performances in it. Um, the Godfather, we can get into the Godfather One and two. I, uh, Three, I'll just knock. I was going to say <laughs> that, um, maybe, uh, I, I wouldn't mind getting into some of the, um, like uh, on almost like a different scale because like some of these movies, like, yeah, these are really great. The crime thriller. Like, uh, like story character, like, really craft focused, um, films. Um, and I think it might be good to throw in some of like some blockbusters, okay? some favorite blockbusters. Like for me, um, something like guardians of the galaxy was, is, I just love that one. All right. I want to throw in a comedy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Wedding crashers. Wedding crashers. That's like my favorite comedy. Anchorman. That's one of my favorites in there as well. All right. Uh, what about maybe some indie films? We didn't really do the blockbusters, but oh, we'll whiplash is kind of, is kind of an indie. Yeah. It is I mean, an, it's, it is an indie. It's an indie. Um, it's a high end indie, but it's, an yeah. Indie. yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's a movie which probably no one's drive, seen, which we don't have to really talk too much about it. Yeah. Drive's a good one down in the Valley with Edward Norton. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. Not a lot of people saw that movie, but I really liked it. I thought it was super cool. Yeah. It was like totally off the radar kind of movie, but it was really cool. Um, yeah, these little, these little gems, you know, little gems, these little gems that pop up here and there. Um, okay. Blockbuster. Well, are we going to remember all of these movies? <laughs> we'll try. I mean, I mean, if they matter to us, we'll, we'll remember. Um, what else we got? Goodwill hunting. Have we talked about oh, that Goodwill one? Hunting. That yeah, get that one yeah. in there. Um, you're supposed to think of a blockbuster, Evan. Well, I'm just, we kind of mentioned Star Wars. We talked about Star Wars back in the day. Yeah. We did a big probably thorough podcast on that one. We probably won't do too much on that one. Um, well maybe we've got to get some Tarantino in here as well. Oh yeah. Like Reservoir Dogs. Like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. That's a big one. 
even Inglorious Bastards, I keep finding a new appreciation for that film every single time I Pulp Fiction think about it. Too. Pulp Fiction, I haven't seen that in such a long time that I'm just like... For a second, I thought you were going to say you hadn't seen Pulp Fiction. Oh, no, I've seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I've seen it a few times, but uh, it's, been a, it's been a while, and I'm sure I'd have a much different perspective on it now than than I had at one point. You know what's going to happen? We're going to get into like two of these movies and we're not even going to cover the rest. I know. It's like, um, what the fuck? Like I was waiting for them to talk about this one and this one. All right. Should we cut it there? Yeah. Let's we'll just see what else we discover. So, All right. So if you don't want to hear any about any of those movies, then get lost. Yeah. Go watch some movies and come back to this later when you're prepared. When you've yeah. done your homework. <laughs> so where do we want to begin? Um, on this one, like, let's get, just like, start off with like our favorites, favorites. Like, let's go into that. All right, Evan, before we do, are we going to have two different beers on this podcast or are we going to just have the one? No, I think we're just going to have the one. Oh, oh, you sound disappointed. Well, I, I mean, I we can, we can crack into the other one if, if it so, so calls for it. But now that we've brought it up, we should say what the one is we're drinking right now. Yeah. At this moment. This is from Bomber Brewery, and uh, we went and we actually had a flight of beer before we even did this podcast, which is probably why we're like, let's just fucking talk about movies we like. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Uh, what was this one called again? It was called the, the oh, it's really light and... Oh, yeah, this is the, um, the, the Prairie, it was like the Prairie oh, Harvest or the Prairie... That's what it was called? It was prairie something. Keep talking. I'll see. If, well, I'll, I'll, I'll look. We're gonna it up buy here. a little time with you people. So it's super light and refreshing kind of beer. The other one we got is like um, really dark, but it's seasonal. So they kind of talked us into getting a couple. Just to, <laughs> you know, which was yeah, twisted our rubber arm. <laughs> Which is a really hard sell. All the beer that we had on the flight, though, like we had a bunch of beers there. They were all awesome. So that's the only reason why we're distracted today, Bomber. You gave us everything, and now we can't remember what we actually bought from you until yeah. this podcast. Um, but yeah, everything. It's a it's a nice ale, though. It's like a golden ale, I, as I remember. Is it golden ale? Wow, I really wasn't paying attention to what we actually. <laughs> But, um, there was the, what was here. the other one that we got in the can that we may or may not introduce later? Uh, blood from a stone, blood from a stone. Yeah. That one's awesome. It's really dark and it's, um, it's got like a little bit of hop, but it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost got like a little bit of a, a wheat beer f- flavor to it. Um, I can't even find, can't find, find it? it on their site. No, well, it's not here. You know, whatever. We had every beer at bomber. So and they were all good. I mean, were there any, why don't you just mention one of the ones that stood out to you? Um, you know, it was definitely the, um, blood from a stone. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was a big standout for me and they only did it in the cans because they, it's like a very small batch. They do it. It's a partnership with the, with an American brewery as well. I think so. It's uh it's a very small batch and they said they only do it once a year, which is, uh, too bad because it's, it's something special. Well, and also doesn't, wasn't that the one that had the really high alcohol percentage too? Uh, no, that was the Russian Porter. Oh, which or is was also... the Russian, Russian Porter or the Russian stout. I think we remember everything else except for the one that we're drinking. Yeah. 
It was a Russian Imperial Stout that we, we had, which I was... might argue we don't really remember much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I would but argue... we do remember we were at Bomber Brewery. Yes. And we do appreciate you, Bomber. Yeah. And, um, and it's a golden and... ale. I do remember it's a golden ale of some kind. Well, um, I really like it. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed this beer from the moment I tried it. And um, I'm happy that we're starting the podcast with it. Mm-hmm. I will probably be accompanied by the other. <laughs> I don't know about you, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm kind of feeling like having some fun on this episode and yeah. just, you know, whatever we're talking movies, who cares? Fuck it. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Fuck it. Exactly. Right. People do entire podcasts on that. We try and always bring yeah. some value and some, le- and we're going to still do that. Well, we'll bring some value and some lessons. Yeah. You know, I think one thing too is like, you know, I'm just, and, and I think this is just, it's good anyways, like not taking myself so seriously with the stuff that I'm doing in my life. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, we're making movies and we're acting and we're writing scripts, but I mean, at the end of the day, we got to have fun, you know, like, yeah. you know, like I think there's this whole thing too. And this is just a side note before we get into this. I mean, there's this whole thing about being an artist where it's like, I'm an artist. And it's like, you know, sometimes I just want to be like, yeah, man, just have some fun. Like when I was a kid and I wanted to get into movies, it's because I wanted to play imagination and, and, you know, make some things on the big screen and whatever. Like I didn't, I wasn't like worried so much about being the best actor in the world. You know, it wasn't until later that like, or filmmaker or whatever, that that stuff kind of, kind of polluted my, the purity of it all. Right. Yeah. And I think the nice thing about this talk is we get to just kind of sit back a little bit, talk about movies, talk about what we liked about them yeah. and not worry so much about like, you know, um, necessarily like having to be amazing artists, but just looking at what, what things worked in these and like, how can we yeah. apply them moving forward and let's have some fun doing it. Absolutely. I think you need to have a sense of humor and a sense of lightness about this kind of thing. You know, it's yeah. like, even though we're very passionate about it and we, and we do take it very seriously in a lot of ways because but it's, you need a little bit of both, you yeah. know, like it's a balance. Like you can't just be one of these people who's just such a, like stick up their ass about the things that they create all the time. Like that's a huge reason I think why lots of people don't work or they don't continue to get work is yeah. because it's just like, you know, you're just such a pain in the ass to work with, you know, like, because you're just don't like, get me started. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you got to have some fun. I mean, you got to like relax and just, uh, you know, you got to be able to laugh at yourself. I mean, you know, it's one of those industries too. I mean, especially in film where you're just going to fail upwards. You know, I was just saying like, and here's another one. I was, we were talking about this before the podcast. I've been watching Mean Streets, which is, is directed by Scorsese. And it's like like one of big film. Yeah. And it's one of, he's, he's basically my favorite director, but I'm watching this film and I'm like, what the hell is this movie? It's like random <laughs> fucking shit put together. Like it's yeah. like, I would like structurally it's piss poor to be honest. And, and granted Scorsese is my favorite director, but like this particular movie is really just a lot of like really cool acting scenes and good acting performances strung together in some really interesting moments. But like overall, I mean, it's kind of just a random mishmash of crap, Yeah, you know? And so <laughs> I think the thing is, is like, you know, in a way, he's obviously Martin Scorsese. I mean, you know, and we're going to talk about a bunch of his films, like, you know, Aviator, The Departed, you know, all this, right. Um, Wolf on Wall Street. And so he's definitely refined his craft since then. But I think another good point is as we talk about these movies, I think that filmmakers coming out of the gate, I think we need to take a little pressure off ourselves and be like, okay, well, you don't have to be Scorsese now coming out of the gate today. You just need to make a movie that you believe in that's important. And 
you know, and, and, and try to capture some good moments, you know, and I mean, granted today, like we have more awareness about structure, maybe back in the day, they didn't have as much, Yeah. but, uh, you know, apply a little structure, whatever. But for the most part, you know, we just got to go and make good movies that impact people. Yeah. Cause if you make a movie that has all the right structure, but it has no impact emotionally, who mm-hmm. gives a shit, right? And I think that also there's, um, yeah, it's keeping a, cer- a certain sense of perspective on, on everything from knowing what your intention was coming in into it. Uh, I, there's this great interview I read with, um, Javier Bardem where he's talking about looking like he doesn't really like looking back at his work, at least not right away. Like he, he has to give it some time and then maybe like four or five years will pass and he'll, he'll look at something that he did. Um, because that's like for him, that's like the only way he can kind of stay objective about it. But he can, at that point, he can look back at it and say like, oh, okay, like he can see where, you know, he felt like it, it wasn't quite working for himself personally, but he can see, um, what he was trying to do. You know, he's like, oh, but I understand what I was trying to do with it at that point in time. And I think that's, that's a good thing to be able to, to have, to be able to look back upon no matter whether you liked it or not is to say like, you know what, I can see what I was trying to do. You know, like I, there was that you were trying to do something, I don't know, Mm. with it as opposed to just throwing some shit up the wall. Yeah. Right. You know, there was a, there was an intention behind your work. Yeah. But anyhow, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about some movies. So finally, <laughs> yeah, I know. How long have we been going? And it's like it's just with these guys just talk about these movies already. We're not gonna bullshit, guys. We're yeah. gonna get straight to the point. That's what we do. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I don't okay, saying let's pick that. a movie. Um, you know what? All right, let's just uh, almost famous. All right, it's my. It's been just my favorite movie. Why is it your favorite movie? Many Evan? years. Okay, <laughs> well, it's um. I mean, we can get into that on a lot of levels, I'm sure. Um, we'll do it. So where do we, (laughs) where do we begin? I don't know. What do you like about it? It's like, it's, it's just a wonderful story. Wonderful story. It's just like a wonderful story. Um, that there's something almost very romantic and fantastic about everything, even though it's so rooted in an actual time, you know, in an actual um, because Cameron Crowe wrote for the Rolling Stone, um, wrote for Rolling Stone magazine, like when once upon a time and, and had traveled on the road with, with a lot of bands. So this was for him, it was very, it was a very personal story and you can feel that throughout the whole, the whole thing. Um, it has a great sense of, it just has a great sense about it that you really get pulled into that world. And, and for me on like a more subjective level, I've always had, uh, an affection towards that era of the seventies and like these great, like rock and roll bands that were kind of larger than life. Um, yeah, just sort of like that free love and like great music and, and it was, it was a time of uh, a kind of idealism as well. And, and also I think it was also, it was this story about this kid, you know, like this kid who was just like so young and had really no business being thrown into this situation. But here he was, you know, in this and going through this and, and facing some, 
um, getting to live some of that life, but also getting to see that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, that there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes. And so, yeah, it was like, I don't know. It's just this, it's a really, for me, it's just kind of this magical type of a movie that has just terrific performances and it moves so well. Like it's just the it pace. It's just, it's so well constructed and it's just, it, it hits me like right in the, right in the feel good. Right in the you know, and it's, uh, that's yeah. not necessarily for everybody. And, and that's what I was meaning when I brought up the whole thing with Netflix is that like, for me, it's like a really great film, like will typically only get like a four star review from me, but a great film that there's just this, that sort of that five star rating has to do with like, just my, my feeling about it. Like, does it give me some sort of a, like, do I feel cathartic from watching it? And that's what almost famous continually does. Every time I watch it, I just get this, like, it's, it's such a well-crafted thing, but it also gives me this, this feeling, Mm. right. Um, that I understand it, it's not a movie that would give everybody that feeling, but for me it does. Yeah. Yeah. Emotional impact emotional impact. I mean, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're selling here. Yeah. With movies, you know, and connection and just, well, I guess with every type of art, you take music, take painting, take whatever it's emotional impact. You know, do do you feel, I think that's really ultimately what we're going for. Yeah. There's that saying, you know, that they won't remember what you say. They won't really remember what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel, Mm. which I think is, uh, you know, because I think that's, that's kind of, um, where a lot of these films that are going to be our favorites are going to kind of come back to you. Like, what did they make us feel? I mean, my favorite, and we'll come back to that almost famous, but my favorite is fight club. And I yeah. saw that when I was about 16 years old and, um, you know, maybe 15, I don't know, I was right around there. <clears throat> and, uh, and I remember, you know, I was in a time in my life where, um, my whole world had been flipped upside down, you know, like we went from having like, you know, a mansion, um, millions of dollars, you know, sports cars, campers, boats, everything, you know, I had everything and we lost it all. And I really was confronted with materialism in a big Mm. way. And of course, you know, that's the main kind of thing with fight club. I mean, the big underlying message about it is the things you own end up owning you. And to be in a time in my life where everything I thought my life was and everything I thought the world was, um, you know, I was finding out that, you know, we, our things didn't matter. I remember there was this moment and I know it sounds off the cut off the side, but it's, it actually related. My dad was telling me, you know, we're going to lose the house. And he was saying, things are going to change a lot and you're probably going to live in a lot smaller place. We ended up living in a trailer park for a period of time. So just imagine going from a mansion to a trailer park. It's mm-hmm. a pretty big difference. But I remember thinking at the time, like, I don't really care about any of that. I really honestly didn't. What I cared about was that I was mostly just caring about my family and I didn't want them all to split up. And I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't. And so fight club to me was about, um, letting go of this life that, you know, appears good on the outside, but ultimately gives you by losing it and letting it go, you gain access to uh, an actual connection to yourself, an actual real thing. And I, yeah. and I think that movie is one of those movies where people, cause I remember, I, I don't think my dad got it <clears throat> cause he saw it too. He didn't see it with me, but he saw it as well. And he didn't really get it at the time. 
And, um, but for me, it was, it made a profound impact. And I remember thinking also like about being a man in today's world and how, you know, there's like, there's something about being a man, which is like that we're so like, like even today, even today in my day in life, I'll go through, you know, I'll go through days, weeks, maybe even months, really, I don't know, but definitely days and weeks where I won't even physically touch anybody, you know, maybe a Mm. handshake, maybe a little hug here and there, maybe, but like, you know, I'll go through periods of time where I won't physically touch anybody. And the thing is, is, you know, we, we just have this disconnect, you know, and like you have your video games and your television and all your shit, but you don't have a connection to people. Mm. And to me, that's what fight club was about. It was about a bunch of guys who were actually coming together in their own kind of fucked up way and kind of going, you know, like, and also it was kind of like, fuck the man, which was also a big thing, you know, in my life, but it definitely emotionally impacted me in a big way. So yeah, I mean, we can get more into that movie, but I think these movies, sometimes they have a profound effect for you at the time you are in your life when you see them. Yeah. 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 And they can really have the power to, to shape you in some situation. I mean, fight club. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, I run like, an international fight club now. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's, it's like, that is like, it's a modern day masterpiece. I won't, I definitely will not argue with that. Because most people didn't get it when it came out. I remember getting it, but I remember most people didn't. And I actually, I didn't get it right when I walked out either. I actually walked out for about two weeks afterwards. I was like, just, I felt like I was punched in the face like literally, like I was like just days, like walking around with stars in my vision until all of a sudden I was like, Oh, Whoa. Right. Yeah. And I had talked to other people about it and most people didn't seem to get it. And it wasn't until later that all of a sudden the movie became this massive cult classic. I think it's because it, it, you know, the fight club worked on such a, on such a, um, a face value level as it did on like, like on a deep level because on a face value level, it was very entertaining, like darkly funny, interesting characters had action, had a great plot. Like it was like, it was kind of like this fun ride to go on. And then like this twist, like this crazy twist. And, and so that's kind of like it, that can almost steal the whole show right there just because it's like, it just moves so well. And then, cause for me, it was, that was very much what it was about. The first time I saw it was just like, Oh, what? Like he is Tyler Durden. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, he's not real kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and that's kind of like what, what got, I got out of it in my first sort of foray into it. I was a few years younger than you when that movie came out. And yeah. so like, I didn't necessarily get a lot of the things that were being said in it, but after seeing it again later on and then seeing it again later on, like there's these moments in it where you just go, yeah, yeah. You know, like these things like, um, you know, some of the, the, the big famous lines from it, like, um, you the things have- you, the things you own end up owning you. Yeah. Right. Like just these little things you go, Oh, that's really interesting. And, and you start to see like, there's a really, um, extraordinary, complex commentary on society. And it's saying a lot of things about, about society, about materialism, about men Mm -hmm. as well, you know, like about, um, things that are really broken in men in modern day society. Right. Uh, 
So it, it is, it's an absolute modern day masterpiece. And, and I don't think it was necessarily an easy thing to, to grab onto at the beginning for everybody. Well, and also it kind of took, <clears throat> it took everybody's bullshit and it put it in your face. And it said, all your materialism, all your Ikea buying all this shit is all bullshit. And, and, you know, and most people <clears throat> are too scared to lose all that shit. So it took society's like addiction and it said, here, look at it. This is what it is. Yeah. And all your whole life, your whole fucking Ikea life with all your magazine buying and your online buying and all your things in your cars and your condo and your house and all that shit, it's all bullshit and it's all meaningless. And here's why. So a lot of people are, of course, going to have a shitty reaction to that. Yeah. And, and also the way it was marketed too, in some ways might've gave it a fault because people go, I thought I was coming to see this action movie about guys fighting and shit. It's like, yeah. <laughs> no, you're just get, you're going to get like, that's, that's what brought you to the theater. And now here's the fucking punch in the gut. You know what I yeah. mean? And that's kind of what the movie is. But I think like the people who love fight club, love fight club because mm-hmm. they took the punch in the gut and they took it and they're like, this is fucking brilliant. And the people that are yeah. like, Oh, you know, it's whatever. They're like, they're the people that didn't get the message. You know, yeah. they're the people that missed because that movie is so deep, so deeply profound. And every time I watch it, I get more out of it. Yeah. Every single time there's always another layer down. I go, because as I learn more about my own life and more about society and everything, I'm like, fuck man. Like, yeah. They really like, they really added a lot of depth here. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I mean, it, brilliant David Fincher. Like mm-hmm. he's one of the most, like he's one of the masters and of Chuck Palahniuk wrote the book, yeah. which I read as well, which is, but great. you know, fight club is something that I'm almost like that could have just as easily been like a Kubrick film yeah, or something, you know, like with what's everything that's happening in it, how, um, specific everything is, how like meaningful everything is in that story. Yeah. I have so much love and respect for fight club because it's, it is, I mean, it was, it's interesting because it presents a lot of concepts that aren't really necessarily new. I mean, that's obviously in, in Chuck, um, uh, plan Palinic Palinic's, um, original story. I mean, that's like, it's a lot of Eastern philosophy that's in that about materialism and detachment and stuff. And then, but it's got this weird, dark, like Western approach to it, but it does It kind of like, that's the intention. It's like, it's kind of hits you across the face with it, as opposed to like this very sort of like gentle, um, theological approach to like, Hey, you know, like all of the values that you have that you're placing and owning <laughs> things like you don't really actually have a whole lot of meaning. You know? <laughs> it's just like, it's all fucking bullshit. <laughs> and it's just like, Whoa. Oh no, my God. It, it's like, grab your fucking face and put it in the fucking shit. It's not like, it's not like, Oh yeah, you know, over there, like the nice approach of it all. Right. And, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's also like really ahead of its time because, you know, like the, one of the underlying things too, is they're kind of making a joke and a mockery in certain ways, but also doing it in a very like profound way, which is to kind of confront cancer and all these fucking diseases that we have. And like, you know, um, what's really funny is that like, there's this, there's this funny thing in which him and Marla, you know, um, the narrator and Marla, like Edward are talking about this, you know, Oh no, I want that disease. I want, you know, blood parasites. I want that or whatever. Right. And it's like, 
because like what's really interesting about that too, and he has this narcolepsy or not narcolepsy, but, uh, um, what is it when you can't sleep? Uh, insomnia. Oh, insomnia. Yeah. Yeah. It's insomnia. And so like, there's this whole thing with the medical part of the world, which is like, it doesn't really say that, but it kind of hints at it, which is like the whole fucking corporate world is just basically here to fucking give you cancer and fucking destroy you and get you to, you know, cause they want to get your money and your fortune when you go to fucking, you know, when you're fucking dying. And you know, they say in America right now, the biggest killer of people's entire wealth they built of their whole life is their medical issue that they have when they're older because mm-hmm. they can't pay for medical. Yeah. Cause you're just fucked. Cause it's all private and it's all whatever. And so like, and yet people will, people will fight to have the very thing that's going to destroy them, which is that, which basically fight club saying, no, that's what we need to stop. That's what we need to rise up against. And you know what, by the way, these corporations and these men and the, and the, the money and the government, they don't have the fucking power. We have the power. And if we just fucking come together and we fight for this shit and you know what, let's like, and he says this one thing after fight club, he's like, after you go for three weeks or whatever, you're like carved out of wood or something like that. He says, that's what we need as men in the world who want to stand up for big things in the world. We need to be carved out of fucking wood. We can't be little pussies buying Ikea, you know, and I don't mean to like, and like being in our little comfortable couch, sitting back, getting fat, drinking soda, eating fast food. We need to be able to fight. We need to be able to stand up against the harshities of the world and say, you know what? If we combine our power, doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what kind of 1% you are. We have the power. Yeah. And that's what, that's what fight club is saying. But of course, the problem with the world today is we can't get enough people organized to stand up against the atrocities that are happening in the world, but it confronts the issue, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. And it does so in a way that's like, yeah, again, it's, it's not necessarily like the best approach because like, (laughs) it's archaic and crazy. It's it's total anarchy, (laughs) right? Which is, you know, I, I'm, I'm not agreeing with that per se. I don't even think the film agrees with that either because at the end of it, you know, he kills Tyler Durden. Yeah. You know, he kills that part because Tyler Durden's a madman. Right. You know, like despite he, him having some good points and, um, really speaking to people, it was like Tyler Durden ultimately had to go. Well, I think that's the thing with Tyler Durden is like, you know, we've talked a lot of this on the show. Um, but about the ego, the problem with Tyler Durden was he wasn't, he was an ego. Yeah. He was an alter ego. And we've talked about the ego. The ego is going to destroy. Right. Yeah. And that's the problem is it was actually a good intention, but from a bad fucking source. Right. Yeah. Like if it came from a real like sense of self love, like he didn't come from a place of self love, like fight club, the whole fucking thing was born out of his ego. It was yeah. born out of his, you know, totally. Right. But, but if, but the lesson, the idea, the point, if, if it was born out of self love, we would probably have an anti-violent rise against the the system, mm-hmm. but because it's the ego, it's going to be violent and it's going to be ugly. Mm-hmm. But in some ways it's fueled by anger. You know, I've been, you know, and I know this is a little side note from movies, but if you've ever heard us talk about anything, I think <laughs> the ego, one thing the ego does as a favor to us is it teaches us to have the ability to protect ourselves, to walk through the world and kind of be unaffected. It's, it's a, I think sometimes an arrogant and misguided, um, tool that we have, but Um, I do think sometimes we need to be a little tougher. We need to be, we need to not be so much into our comforts. We need to be a little bit more into our, like, you know, um, 
I mean, the one thing I love about Fight Club too is another thing is like when you have nothing to lose, what are you willing to do? And I remember his boss like saying like, I'm going to fire you, whatever. He's like, you're going to leave. And then he starts beating himself up in the office. It's a great scene. That's like, you got nothing to lose. It doesn't matter. And he shows his boss. He's like, you're going to start paying me. I'm not even going to show up to work and you're going to give me this shit. And it's like, cause once, cause you realize that like the reason why the boss had no leverage, cause the boss had all this shit to lose and he's attached, but Edward Norton's character was detached, had nothing to lose. So with detachment comes ultimate power. Of course you could, you could misuse that power, but that's if, you know, I think it's, it's pointing out, I mean, it's a movie. You, you got like 90 minutes or a couple hours to explain a fucking massive idea and they do a pretty good job of it. But like, you know, of course I I don't even know how much Chuck Pone even knew what he was even expressing. Like I'm not even sure. I don't know, but, but it's a profound film, I think. Oh yeah. 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 Anything else to say on that one? Um, well, like, do we want to like break this down into, into some of its like components, like, uh, sure. As far as structure, like inciting incidents, dilemma, crisis. All right. So let's all do that, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it quickly. And we'll, we'll break down each movie as we go. And yeah. We don't have to get into as much detail about it. No, no, no. Obviously we're passionate about these films. So. Yeah. <laughs> so like, let's, um, so how does it set up? So we want to start a fight club? Sure. Let's start with Fight Club. Okay. So it sets up, we see that he can't sleep and he's, you know, he's clicking through buying his Ikea stuff. We see his apartment being filled out. Um, we get like kind of the, the, just this depressed person who's got basically everything you're supposed to need in life, except maybe a partner. And he's, uh, you know, and he's lonely and he's depressed and he's got all his shit and nothing's fulfilling. And that's how the movie begins. And he's going to these groups Oh, and he's also a part of this totally unethical company, which basically covers up the fact that people are getting killed in these cars right. because the cars are manufactured poorly. And so he has this constant ethical dilemma. He's basically totally compromising in himself yeah. every it's day. It's basically your, your, your start, you start off with this person who feels completely almost dehumanized. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're a cog in a machine and they're just functioning. That's it until he's no longer functioning until he's no longer functioning. Um, and so I would say the inciting incident though, is when he meets, um, um, inciting incident is when his, when he comes home and his hotel has been blown up or his, his apartment's been blown up. That's the, that's the life change moment. That's the moment where you're like, Holy fuck. Like, like my whole life is going to change right now. That's the inciting incident. Yeah. I think so. He's in a dilemma now. He's like, well, I was going to say, cause there is also something that happens when he meets, uh, Marla yeah. for the first time as well. That changes things as well. That's like, well, from a story structure point of view, um, that's like what they're doing is they're introducing the subplot because Marla's a subplot. She's not, yeah. she's not actually the plot. She becomes the why of the plot, but she's a subplot. So he's kind of going along his life. I mean, if we do break this down, like, I mean, he's going along his life. He's depressed. He can't sleep. He's got meaningless, totally ethically compromised. He starts finding these groups where people are dying and he starts to feel a certain sense of like, like connectedness to people and to himself and right. meaning. Absolutely. Marla comes along. She interrupts that cause she's a fake like him, which exposes his own projection yeah. of his bullshit. 
but it's still sort yeah, I get it. So she's still she's still like a part of this setting up of like this is this is his life. Like this right. is where he's he still at. would have existed with Marla and him and Marla actually came up with a deal. They said, you go to this half of them. I'll go to this yeah. half. We'll coexist. Everything will be fine. We know about each other, but whatever. Yeah. But then once Tyler Durden comes in and basically his alter ego blows up his apartment, he can't just get by in life anymore. He has to face the yeah. fact that his life has changed. And so then he decides his turning point is when he decides to call Tyler Durden, mm-hmm. which is fucking crazy. Cause he calls himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and goes and has a drink with him yeah, and then fights himself. And then he fights himself. Yeah. So, and he starts on this journey of like basically dismantling this life that yeah. he had built up. That so, point. so what's his dilemma? What's his dilemma? Oh yeah. It's a good question. You know, I was just going over this with that, uh, you know, working on screenplays, his dilemma I mean, he has a bunch of dilemmas. I mean, partly he has, he has a, an ethical dilemma, but he has like a, his dilemma is like, I, I can't go back to the life I knew cause it's destroyed. And, um, you know, like, and he's so unhappy and he's so unhappy. The other thing is, is like, I think when he fights Tyler Durden, when he fights essentially himself, but when he does that, he feels for the first time. And so I think that's why he goes down this other road is because like, it's so weird to even like, it's kind of weird to talk about it because you can talk about this movie in two ways. You can talk about it as though Tyler Durden is actually another person or you could talk about it as though what's actually going on with him and himself. That's why yeah. it's like weird. Cause when you watch the movie, you need to almost watch it twice just to take it in properly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's like, you should almost watch the movie like back to back. Like, yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, so his, so it's like the, the dilemma is like, you know, it's a damned if you do a damned if you don't scenario. I right? think so. Yeah. And it is typically, typically is resolved, um, by how they like how the dilemma is resolved and communicated and the theme is communicated through how they resolve the dilemma. Right. Yeah. The so- choice that they make at the end that resolves the problem right? So ultimately what happens? He has to face Tyler Durden. He has to face this part of himself, which which he he knows is is a part of himself, but he could avoid that was, that wasn't a real dilemma in the beginning because he could avoid facing himself. And he actually in the, if you take basically the first whole 75, 80 minutes of the movie, he's avoided facing himself the entire movie until the moment where he realizes this is me. And now he has to start confronting, you know, and I think that's, that's I'm actually just having a shift as I talk about this, because that was part of the problem in the beginning of the movie. He couldn't face himself. And I think, you know, I actually relate to that struggle in my own, in my own life, like part of like working through depression. Like I felt depressed for a little while. It wasn't until I was willing to face myself that I was able to transcend through that shit and like actually go, Oh, you know, but the depression was this denial Right. And I think that that's where he, you know, I, I project, I mean, I think that's where he was at. He was just super depressed because he couldn't face himself. I mean, I just try on like, imagine working for a company where, you know, these cars are killing people and burning them alive. And you're basically just kind of helping them cover it up. Yeah. And that's what you do. And that's what you get paid for. And that's how you buy all your Ikea shit. And it's like, 
that's pretty fucked up. Right. Yeah. And you know, like you'd have to disconnect from humanity and your feeling quite a lot and yourself to yeah. be able to do that, which is what he's kind of done because society's told him, get a job, buy your shit, get a condo, you know, get all these things and you'll be happy. Yeah. And then he's got all these things. He's done them all. He's pretty much completed his Ikea house he even says in the beginning. And it's like, he's not happy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens? Cause like, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what's driving this early on because yeah, it seems like there is, there's like this shift that happens when he discovers, um, what's really going on. Oh, you mean, yeah. So the changeover part. But before that, it's like, it's kind of him letting go of his old life because while he's living with, living with Tyler (laughs) and he's, he's still working, like he's still working his job, you know, while he's like staying in this, you know, shitty old house and, and part of this, this fight club, um, and sort of growing this, this army, which he's unaware that he's the one who's even doing it, but there's, he's still kind of living this, this existence for a while for a good chunk of the movie where he doesn't see himself as being, as being Tyler. So what's his dilemma at this point? You know, it's just like, it's, it's like how far he's going to go almost like how, how far removed from his old life is he going to, is he going to make himself? Well, if you look at the majority of the movie, I mean, he's disassociating himself and disconnecting from his old life. I mean, over and over and over again, everything he does is a, is a kind of disconnection from the old materialistic, um, you know, the man says, do this, do this kind of life, you know, do everything right, play by the rules, play by the book. And he starts breaking the rules. He starts, um, you know, dropping his responsibilities, letting go of the things that supposedly mattered. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting because like, I mean, I've, as I've said before, I mean, I study a lot of psychology. I mean, that was, I switched my major over to that. Um, but the whole thing about split personality, there's another term for it, which is, um, in some ways, even a more mild case than split, but it's a dissociative disorder, which is basically the way it, the way it works is they usually see it where a kid will say have been abused when they were a kid. And so they were being abused and they were in so much pain that they would dissociate from the moment and right. go into their happy place, which basically theoretically, that's the idea that they created a split personality because once enough pain and discomfort came, they developed the ability to disassociate from that and be somewhere else and almost be someone else. Mm. Um, and so I think like you take this character and he's in so much pain, he's figured out a way to dissociate himself from his actual life. And that's how Tyler Durden is born. You know, and that's where the split personality is born. Tyler Durden is a product of dissociation from a painful existence. Yeah. So like, I think that you almost have to look at fight club as in, I think you have to look at it as them not being separate. If you're going to see this from a structural standpoint, as from the very beginning, as them not being like separate entities, if you, you have to look at it, it's like, no, this is what's going on inside him the entire time. So it's this, it's this, this, part of him that's really ripping him away from anything that's been part of like the world that he's been living in, like really, really ripping him out of his old paradigms completely. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is actually where the dilemma 
therein lies is that then he reaches a point where he realizes that like, I've been ripped too far away and it's now getting too destructive and it's too out of hand and people are going to get hurt. And people like, this is like, while there was some, something somewhat necessary about what happened, it got to a point where it's like, this is, it got too far and he had to make a choice, right? Which is our crisis that he, that he has to face. Yeah. It's like a, he has like a psychosis. It's like, do I, so it's like, do I, because yeah, it's tough. Does he, does he let Tyler just completely take him over or does he, because he would, he would have to choose between one or the other. Like, I think actually this is the dilemma is that only one of them could, could survive. But the problem is like, he couldn't could let, live. I mean, he couldn't let Tyler take over because Tyler is the ego, right? In the movie. So, or the book, but Tyler will kill him. I mean, just think about yeah. how the movie comes to an end. And he basically says, I will die to get rid of you. That's what he does. He says, yeah. I'll fucking blow my own head off just to get rid of you because you're going to kill me anyway. So who gives a fuck? Yeah. And that's the thing. You know what? I love, I fucking love this movie because that's all of our struggle. Like in a way we have to not let our ego run the show. Cause if we do, it will literally destroy us. I mean, you've shared that before. Yeah. That's what will happen. And the, and the thing is with Tyler is he is not real as real as he seems. And as real as our ego seems, it is not real. And it will basically, we might live a little longer, but it will still destroy us all the same. You know, I think the ego is like, you might be alive, but you'll be walking dead if you yeah. let it run. Whereas like he needs his ultimate conflict. Like the, the movie's about detachment, right? His, the ultimate climax is detachment from the ego, which is detachment from Tyler Durden. Yeah. So like the whole movie, he's been detaching from stuff and like detaching from who he's supposed to be and detaching from all that. But like once he faces off Tyler, I mean, it's the ultimate thing. It's like, I have to detach from this idea of who I think I'm supposed to be. And and think about Tyler. Tyler's fucking fit, good looking, charismatic, great, great in bed, great with people, fucking a leader, powerful, strong. He's everything that every guy really truly deep down wants to be. And we have to kill that fucking idea off that we need to be all that to be a good man. And that's like, that's hard for every single man. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, to be a great man in the world, you do not have to be Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden is an illusion. He's fake. And and that's Tyler Durden even says that we all want to be movie stars and rock stars. And we're pissed off. We're not going to yeah. be because that's what he represents. He is the fucking rock star. I mean, you see him pull off his shirt and his abs and like, and he's just fucking walk around all cool. Strutting around, we we yeah. want to be that. And like, you know, what's really funny about fight club is you got men who will walk around the world and they'll model him. Cause they've totally missed the point of the idea of the movie. Cause they actually like, they've actually fallen in love with the ego, yeah. which is what Tyler represents. It's a brilliant fucking movie on so many levels that even for me, like I want it to be Tyler Durden, Yeah, you know, because I mean, and, and I don't think there's a single person in Western culture who's at least a male who didn't want to be, because in a way he represents everything yeah. that we think we're supposed to be. Yeah. And so I think that's the ultimate dilemma is I got to kill off the idea of who I think I'm supposed to be, to be good enough, to be a man, to be whatever. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's fucking like, <laughs> and, it's it took him, and it took him, yeah. It's <laughs> so you can see like the whole like structure. It's, it's interesting because like, 
Yeah, it's like I've never really done this like with these movies before, but it's a it's a really great exercise to do. And if you if you're listening to this and you are a um, you know a screenwriter and you've never done this before, but like really start taking a look at some of the films that you really love, the films that you know really well, and break them down. Yeah, like break them down into like their you know, some of their core components, you know, of, you know, dilemma, crisis, decision and action resolution, Yeah. you know, see how that whole thing, how that whole thing operates. So let's do it. Let's quickly do it and let's move on to another film. Yeah. So, um, so decision his his place is blown up. So he decides I'm going to call Tyler. I'm going to find, I'm going to find another option essentially. Yeah. Like I'm going to find a new way to exist. His action is essentially to detach from his old life. Cause he's like, you know what? I don't want to go back to my old life. So my action is to continually detach, you know, confront my boss, do this thing, make fight club, my main priority in life. Uh, even get them to pay me even yeah. for not being there. Like, I think, I mean, fight club, cause I'm looking at this, I'm, I'm seeing this maybe a little bit different. Okay, I, this is, this yeah, is yeah. the thing that I guess, you know, I, maybe there's a, a degree of subjectivity to all of this. It's whatever you key in on, but to me, it's just like the, the, his house blowing up is the, is the dilemma. He's like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I have no place. I've lost everything. Okay. Right? I have, I have nothing. So, and then Tyler Durden comes in and it's actually the way I'm seeing this now is that he's caught uh, Edward Norton's character, which is what's actually his character. His- well, like Jack is Jack. It's Jack. Yeah. Oh yeah. They call him narrator, but it's Jack. Yeah. And he, is caught in a dilemma that he's not even aware that he's in. Right. Because he's not aware that Tyler is not a real person. Right. So he's caught in this dilemma as things kind of keep on escalating and escalating and escalating. And Tyler's ramping this whole thing up, right. Which leads to this point where it's gotten so out of hand. And then he realizes that, um, he is Tyler this is the, that's the crisis. That's the, yeah, that's the, that's the crisis. He's just like, it's me. Tyler is me. And he's taking over, which is the rock bottom moment of the story. The rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of, they, they all kind of fit in with each other. And then decision in action is that, Oh, the right, dis- right. there's the decision that, cause like the, it's yeah, like that's right up at the I was right looking at, at it differently. I was, actually, oh, okay. I was looking at it from a screen, like a, a different type of screenwriting structure. That's why I used action. Like I used oh, action yeah. as the rise to the climax. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. So the rise, I'm thinking of like the, the rise is his detachment. The, yeah. The, the action is the moment from the rock bottom to, to the climax is what you're talking about. Yeah. Because, um, the, the rise of him as a character growth is him detaching, which happens before the crisis. That's where I got mixed up. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. In my mind, I'm working with like the, like the old school, like just the who's, basic, whose uh, structure was that? That's, that was Plato. Oh, was it I Plato? Think that, that was Plato's that like okay. classic structure of, of story. And, um, <laughs> all right. And, and that's, that's still what I, I work I like with it. a lot of degrees. Yeah, cause yeah. like, especially cause otherwise we're going to be breaking things down no, to such totally. small components for this and we'll yeah. never get anywhere. Um, but, uh, just in its core components. And then, so the crisis is his realization because that comes up close to the peak. Yeah. Right. And then there's the decision and action, which is like, uh, he has to face Tyler. He has to stop Tyler from doing what he's about to do. Um, and then the action is that he's going to kill him. Right. Even if it means killing himself. Yeah. Which is the climax, which is the climax. He shoots himself. 
resolution. Resolution is that he's alive. Yeah. He lived it. He, he lived survived it. it he survived it. Tyler's dead. And now he's left to pick up the pieces as Marla comes. <laughs> and right. they watch all of these buildings crumble to the ground. Right. Which is, yeah. Which is that, yeah, it's interesting. Cause like, um, he, I mean, his ultimate victory is like, he couldn't stop Tyler from doing what Tyler was going to do. He couldn't stop his ego from the destructive act, but he basically had to be willing to kill himself. Yeah. Like, which is the ultimate detachment. Like yeah. if you're willing to die, if you don't even, aren't even attached to your own life, then you're totally free. I mean, yeah. I think about those warriors back in the day who like would go and, you know, empires fighting and shit like, you know, Spartans and like, they must've had like some of those men must've had maybe even women too, but they must've had that ability to be like, I will die for this. My life is not as important as what I stand for. Yeah. And like, that's kind of where he came to in a modern day because we don't it could even say it in the movie. We don't have a war. Yeah. Our war is ourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what the movie is, right? Like that's a good yeah. breakdown. I think that's it. No, it is. Yeah. And, uh, and there was one other point I want to bring up on this too, on, I mean, as it, far as, yeah, go and grab, um, grab some more brew for yourself there, sir. You want one? Um, I'm still chipping away on mine. Uh, but there was, there's something also, I think another element to all of this was that, um, he was, while it seems like he was kind of (laughs) taking control of his life is like, I think he realized that Tyler being in control was not necessarily any different than the control that he was under before Tyler. Interesting. Go on. It was still because before it was, you know, he, he was, um, he was a slave to, uh, he was a slave to society. Right. And he started to become a slave to Tyler and neither one was really him being who he was. Right. It was still, um, it, it was still not him being, um, in control of his own life. You know, Tyler was not really him taking control over his life. It was, it became, it started to run amok just like his old life had started to run amok. Tyler started to run amok. And so at the end it was, came down to him actually really taking control Mm. of his life. And that's kind of the resolution is that like, yeah, like all this stuff is still kind of gone to shit and there's a lot of destruction that's happened, but he's actually gained himself by the end of it. You know, it's really interesting. And it's the last point I want to say about this movie before we move on, but Marla and, and, subplot makes your, your story 3d. Cause if you just had plot, it would be a two dimensional story relatively, but she makes it 3d because what she does is, um, three dimensional because she creates an element where he actually is willing to break Tyler's rules and tell her and try and save her because he's actually fighting for a greater cause. Like he's actually, yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting game because like he, like he doesn't realize I mean, he knows that Tyler is him now at that point, but he still is like trying to, it's so crazy. Cause Tyler's with him everywhere he goes. He like Tyler knows everything he does. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about the ego part of it. But like, he's still trying to save her. And like, if you think about him at the beginning of the movie, he wasn't trying to save shit. Like he wasn't doing anything, but yeah. he's become this guy who's really like as fucked up as he is he's trying to do some good in the world. Yeah. He's trying to like fight for some good things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. he finally takes some responsibility and yeah, 
Yeah. It takes his life back. You know, what's another awesome moment, Cade? Last thing. Yeah. Last thing. <laughs> this is just going to be a fight club. Episode. We're not, we're not going to get anywhere near close to all the movies. We're just going to rename about. this movie. I know. I knew this would happen, <laughs> but there's a moment where, um, where, uh, him and Tyler are down in the basement of that building before the climax and he shoots at Tyler in the truck or whatever. And Tyler fucking flips out. He's like, do you see this? This is a bunch of fucking bombs, which is fucking great because that's a moment where you see Tyler, his one fear. He only has one fear is that he does not want Jack to die because he knows that if Jack dies, he dies too, because he is a parasite of Jack, right? Which is fucking awesome. But like, there's this like, like the whole thing is that that's the thing about Tyler is he seems so strong and powerful, but he's just a little fucking parasite. He's, he only exists because Jack exists because he's a product of Jack's mind. Yeah. And his whole goal is to convince Jack that Jack is him because he needs to basically take over Jack's body. He needs to body snatch him essentially. Yeah. This is fucking awesome though. It's yeah. just like, there's so it's much so brilliance. I know. I actually want to watch this movie. <laughs> Me too. Again. I want to turn it on after yeah. this. <laughs> just That's watch why it. I love yeah. this movie. Okay. All right. All so right. good. Let's go back to your favorite. Almost famous. Yeah, let's break that down. Yeah. And, uh, so it kind of starts off like, I mean, I actually use this film in my filmmaking course. It's one of the films we use to break down. We use that first 10 minutes of the movie. Oh yeah. And nice. to talk with the mother and the son and the sister um, yeah. sister. And, and that scene is something we use. And, and I use that. And I also use blow to kind of show you how you can set up a movie and it doesn't actually, cause if you look at that movie, you could shoot that independently without very much money. And you could make like, and I ask everybody, I stop the movie at 10 minutes and everybody's like, Oh, and I'm like, no, how badly do you want to watch the rest of this movie? And everybody's like, I just, I totally want to see it. I'm like, now, do you think you could shoot that? If we gave you a certain budget, do you think you could make a movie like that and excite people? They're like, yeah, absolutely. Because the beginning of that movie is not very complex to get it done. Like, yeah, but, but what's telling about it is that the story is so good that like, even though it doesn't cost a lot of money to make the story is so good that it makes you want to see what the movie will be. Yeah. Yeah. So no, go on. That's what the, I had to say. About yeah, no, no. So it's no, it's so great. I mean, uh, there's the whole setup. You're watching his life. You discover that he was actually put into school younger. He's got a crazy mom. He's got, you know, his, you know, his sister who's a bit of a rebel. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the inciting incident is, I think, and maybe you'll have a different perspective on this as we're doing this on the fly people. So we're, we'll see. We didn't pre talk about <laughs> but, it. But, yeah. um, his sister like takes off and leaves him all of those records. Oh, interesting. To me, that's the inciting incident because that change, that changes everything for him. Right. It could like be, I, I, you know, I haven't watched the movie in a little bit. Um, but it, so there's the, the, the funny thing about an inciting incident, which I found is there's like a, a, there's a subplot incident which isn't your actual plot incident. And then usually your, your plot incident comes after the subplot incident. So his sister leaving might be the subplot incident, but his incident might be where they actually gave him a call and said, Hey, we want you to go on the road. Mm. So like, cause that's where his life literally physically changes. So, but, but his trajectory alters when she leaves and leaves in the records that, that would be my guess. Yeah. No, it, it, it is definitely like a huge, so like, let's, let's move 
move through this and we'll, okay, and okay. we'll try yeah, we'll like, it once out. we see the whole picture of it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a crucial moment though. Right. It's a crucial moment when he gets these records because it's, it's part of what's defines him because he was always a smart kid, like a really smart kid. Everyone hates him. <laughs> you know, Ewan says that like, they all hate me. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's uncool. And which is a big thing about what the whole movie is about. Like it's called almost famous. It's about people trying to be cool, right? He's trying to be cool. The band that, you know, uh, still water, they're all trying to be cool. You know, they want to look cool. They want to like, they're all just trying to become famous and cool and it's going to fix everything. Right. right? Um, and then they all like, it's, uh, oh, it's so wonderful. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> so there's that I'm starting to understand the title of the movie, which I never really understood, yeah. but almost famous is starting to make sense. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so the, but the, the records like it's, so he's got this duality in him of, you know, his mom who wants him to be this academic. She wants him to be a lawyer. Yeah. Like that's said straight up from the beginning, like Atticus Finch to kill a mockingbird. Like you're going to be like the next great lawyer. But his sister is just like, you need to be free and get out of mom's hold and live your life here. And she gives him all of this rock and roll, which like influenced him. And he starts writing like he becomes this rock and roll journalist at such a young age and he's submitting his stuff. And, uh, and he meets, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character who writes for cream magazine. And he asks him to write, um, a thing on Sabbath to go to, to write like however many, like 500 words on black Sabbath at this concert that's going on. And that's where he ends up meeting Stillwater and the band. So, <laughs> so, but, so, but, okay. So we have a trajectory change. I mean, you know, you can usually time it out. You can do, you can do it simply by math. Um, cause I mean, I don't know how long the movie is. It's two hours or it's 90 minutes, but basically yeah, these it's a little over two hours, it's a little over two hours, which tells me that the inciting incident probably happens around the 30th minute or 25th minute, right around there. Sometimes in older movies, it will happen a little later because they could actually bide more time with uh, the, the setup. But I um, in today's like, and it's not that old. I mean, it's what, early 2000s or late 90s? Um, ooh, that's a good question. Okay. I feel like it's early 2000s. Well, you know what's interesting Maybe about when 90s. you're breaking down a movie, you can actually look at the time it was made and you can start to assess uh, breaking it down from uh, basically a date and time. Oh, that's interesting. I know. It's super cool. Like if you look at Rocky, the inciting incident doesn't happen for like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but like you could actually, some movies back around that time, that that's how it works. Yeah. But I, now today, um, actually you'll notice more modern movies, like in the two thousands, like 2010 beyond, especially they start the inciting incident happens around minute 20 to 25. So, right. And then uh, 10 years earlier, it was 25 to 30. And then you look at, if it was actually like 30 to 35, 40 even. So like right. it actually the inciting incident has been happening earlier. Um, because we've just become more, uh, we've become better at telling story. I mean, it's just natural improvement, right? So we become in some quick, ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, um, in other ways, it's also a product of our audience, um, not being able to pay as much attention. Mm. Like we want, we want the goods quicker. Like we're, yeah. we're used to YouTube and shit. So, yeah. but anyway, um, jump into it. So anyway, my point is, is that I don't know if you remember the minute number, but that will probably help us 
determine right. what the inciting incident, because it probably happened around 25 to 30, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, because, I mean, there's, so yeah, there's, there's that, like, his sister leaves, he becomes this journalist. His sister asked, leaves at 15 minutes, though, doesn't she? Yeah, she leaves pretty early. So that's the, that's the preemptive, yeah. ins- that's the trajectory change, uh, it's, it's B plot or subplot right. trajectory change. Right, The and next then thing is... I think that the dilemma, if we want to, okay, like, go the from dilemma? the dilemma, yeah. is, is that he is, um is that Rolling Stone magazine calls he's, him. He's full of shit. That's and he's right. full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like they think that he's some, some older guy or whatever. Right. They don't know. He's like a 15 year old kid. Um, but they read his article and, um, they want, they want something from him. So he goes on the road with Stillwater to write this piece for Rolling Stone. Um, but he's also, a high school student is completely inappropriate and he's supposed to be graduating as well. Right. You know, so he's got this whole, like he's, this is the dilemma. Like it's live this dream or like completely. I'm just trying to think of this cause it's gotta be like this. It's gotta be a super hard decision for him. Right. Like where it's, where it's very difficult, but basically, yeah, it's like that. That's where his problem is. Is like, he's got to, like he really wants to go and do this. And he ultimately does go out onto the road and he stays out longer than he said he was going to. It's, um, it's his mom. I mean, and I his think mom, his, his, yeah. you got to think cause his mom is kind of the antagonist. She represents the, the status quo. She represents the safe road. Right. And also because he's so young, she kind of has power over him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember, like, I mean, I was defiant when I was 15, but like your parents still have a little bit of control. Yeah. But the thing is, is that his mom was right about a lot of things. Yeah. You know, she says some, like, she says some really extraordinary things in there. Like where, like, there's a great scene where she talks to the guitarist Russell on the phone. Like he gets, she's like, Hey, you know, like, yeah, he's a great kid, you know? And, and she just talks to him. He's like, it's not too late to be a person of substance, Russell you know, like, (laughs) yeah. And it was just, and that's kind of a big part of what this whole thing is about. You know, everybody's so focused on, on, you know, being a part of this big party and looking a certain way and being cool. And it's just like, and it's, and it's this, this push and pull between this, the bullshit, you know, which everyone's kind of having fun writing this bullshit, but what's the substance, you know, like who are these guys really underneath all of it? Right. Like who, who are these people underneath this band? Right. And it's them kind of coming to grips with all of that and him coming to grips with the illusion of the life and what's really happening and how it's really still comes down to the connection of people together and how it comes down to, um, the connection to what people truly love. Right. Cause at the end of it, what happened? Penny, Penny, right. Is the yeah, girl? There's yeah. Penny. Yeah. And she's and, an element in that actually really informs the oh, substance part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But by the end of the, the movie, um, what happens is that Penny actually sets Russell and, um, and the kid up. He thinks that he's coming to see her, but it's, it's to see him. So he can finally have that interview with him about, and he asked him, he's like, what does music mean to you? Like this was the, the big question that he was wanting to get to the whole time. Right. Mm. It was like, he wanted to get to the substance underneath all of the, the craziness and the parties and the girls right. and the t-shirts. I am a golden guy. I'm a golden guy. <laughs> um, but like, this was the question that he wanted to really get to. 
right? And and for them to have this conversation. And then he also brings his sister back with him to like to see mom again, to come back home type of thing. So it's like, it really, it comes down to everybody's connection to each other and to the things that really matter wow. underneath all of it. And that's ultimately what this whole thing is, is I never, about. You know, I've always loved that film, but now that you've explained to me like the inner workings of it, I, I fucking like, and I'm thinking back of like, I've seen it a few times now, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing the greater message in it now. And I'm yeah. like, wow, like this, this has been, I love breaking down movies this way. Yeah. It's like so impactful. Oh, yeah. It's like, wow. Like, you know, it's like fight club. Like, I mean, usually when people have a conversation with me with fight club, they're like, whoa, I never really realized that. But it's like, not everybody's going to see the movie the same way you see it or the yeah. same way I see it. And that's the great thing about us talking about movies. Cause we get to like someone, I think that's the beautiful thing about talking about movies. Cause someone it impacted and that person when they can tell you why it impacted them and they can like share that with you, you go, Whoa, I can see that movie in a way I never even realized. I wasn't even looking at that. Yeah. Like it, it's so, it sounds so obvious to me. I mean, I say it out loud now. I'm just like almost famous. Like yeah. it's all there in front of me, <laughs> but I couldn't see it. You know, like I must've been blind to it in a way in my yeah. life. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, it's about people living a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Right. It's kind of similar to fight club <laughs> yeah, in that totally, way. Yeah. <laughs> Different take on it. Totally. But yeah, just like it's, <laughs> a it's little about the same things. <laughs> and the crisis I think comes when the plane is going down. Yes. That's the rock bottom moment. The, for the sure. plane's going down and everybody's bullshit is coming out. They all think they're going to die. And, you know, he says to all of them, basically, it's just like, you guys are all full of shit. And he calls him out on it. You know, like, he's just like, yeah, there it is. You keep saying all of this, like, you're all about this. That's his line, like, to them. He says, he's like, you say you're all about the fans. Penny was your biggest fan and you threw her away. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's like, you used her and you threw her away kind of thing. And like, just gives it to him. And then he, de- and then from there he leaves and then he writes the article, right? Like completely, he puts it all out there. That was his, the sort of the decision and, and action moment. Right. Right. Where he's he like, he puts out the real, article. he puts out the real article and then there's some, they deny it and they deny it. But ultimately they, they let the article be written. They call in, they say, no, every word of it was true. Right. And which is the resolution. Yeah. The climax is he loses in that movie because he loses the climax because he puts the article in, he does the courageous thing and he ends up losing. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, it's the same as uh, Rocky where he goes to the final thing and he actually loses the fight, but he wins the victory because he honored the truth. Like yeah. he honored the real important thing. Right. Yeah. And then ultimately him doing that led to them doing it as well. Right. They said, you know what? It was all true. And they put it all out there. And then it kind of ends. You see some images of like the band, which was like falling apart, you know, and they were at each other's throats and they've had some kind of reconciliation, you know, like now that all of their, their bullshit has been aired out to everybody, they've kind of got nothing left to hide anymore and they can get on with making music, right? Beautiful. Yeah. Fuck you. I want to watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, this is fun. We should do this more often. (laughs) Just do like, have like every, every, like like maybe once a month we'll like do a a movie breakdown. Yeah. Why not? I like that. I mean, yeah, just break down some movies. Um, I mean, we took a a little time. Let's do one more. Okay. Just like a, something that we both 
figure like maybe we, we aren't like because I mean I feel like Fight Club's been my movie I've been, watched it so many times you've watched it almost famous so many times but it's a movie that we both like maybe Whiplash okay um, but we'll do a brief one maybe we'll talk about it more later but yeah. uh, let's let's just figure that one out quickly because we're on a good roll yeah Whiplash is yeah let's do it sure. I love Whiplash okay so we got a character who wants to be the best drummer in the world like in in history he wants to have yeah. a legacy of he wants to be in the name like one of the names that's spoken of as one of the great jazz drummers of all time right yeah um it's so, never said but that's pretty obvious right and yeah <laughs> totally and that's part of the brilliance of it um the other thing is uh you know his uh you know i'm interested in the title whiplash i don't know if i actually understand why it's well, called whiplash well, like there, i know there's a song the song is whip yeah i know the song is whiplash but what's the deeper meaning like why did they choose to call it whiplash like what are they really saying with the title that's what I, you know i i feel like well, there's like, what something do we, what do we th- like because what is whiplash literally like that's a car accident or yeah usually in a car accident yeah. and it's your neck yeah. typically, right? Like it's you, like the pain it's like, left over. Yeah. That you are left with after an accident. And so, and I mean, there is a big accident in the movie. Maybe yeah. it's the impact. Maybe it's the, maybe it has something to do with what's left over after everything's been done, said and done, you know, mm-hmm. like after the collision has occurred. I, I don't really know. Let's maybe try yeah. to break down the movie. Maybe and then we'll maybe it'll it become <laughs> obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we open, like we get into it pretty quick. Like it, that movie gets started really, really quickly. Totally. Like, cause the opening shot is him practicing like sweat pouring down and in comes the teacher who hears him and has him like do a couple of things for him. And he's kind of this very strange and intimidating figure. Yeah. Right. So, well, and there's this, um, you know what, one of the big problems with him in the beginning of the movie as a flawed character is he's trying so hard to impress everyone else. He's like, like if he, his, that he's, he's he's trying to prove to other that he's good. Like he doesn't see it himself and he's not, he's not in a place of self validation and and a place of self like appreciation because he's like so good. But it is at the end where we see he's like, fuck it. And he's like, I'm going to show you what I can do. And it's fucking brilliant. Right. And it's, I remember watching that and just feeling like, Oh, this is so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I was, I think I was sitting there with like, just like holding my face, Mm. like just on the edge of my seat, just being like, yeah, Oh my God. Like this is unbelievable, but we'll, we'll get to that. So, so yeah. And he's kind of like, he begins, I mean, and we can talk, you know, let's get into the 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 structure. Yeah. yeah, Like let's start with the, with the dilemma. Let's, let's get in. Like, what is, what is the major dilemma? What is the major dilemma for, when does his life, so so when does his life change? Cause he's like, like in the beginning, he's this guy that wants, he's, he's a part of the band, right? He's not in an elite band. I don't know what they call it, but he's not a part of the elite band with the elite teacher and all that, but he wants to be, and everybody wants Mm -hmm. to be. And that's how his life is existing. He's kind of, you know, he's working really hard at his craft. He's very kind of meek in the beginning too. He's like, um, he has a passion, but there's a certain kind of, you know, it's almost like, uh, tell me if you agree with this or not a shame. Cause you remember that part of the scene at the dinner table Yeah, where they're talking about football and shit. It's yeah, kind of like this, family. like he's never really owned that what he does is valid and important and beautiful. 
he kind of like in the beginning of the movie and my experience of him, it's almost like, he's like, yeah, I really do this thing. It's really important to me. But like, I almost apologize for it. It's like, yeah. you know, like even his dad, he almost apologizes for his dad later to the guy, you know, like his, his like, you, you know, and his dad's kind of this representation of like weakness, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or, uh, his dad's almost like this guy who, um, who settled and want, and like, like, right. oh, be small, right. you know, like be small and, yeah. and, and yeah. Yeah. And then the girl, and she's the girl, very resentful. The like, girl and the dad are the subplots of the story. They're like, yeah, they're great. Cause they three dimensionalize the character, right? Yeah. Cause major, majorly it's about him and the pursuit of being this yeah, it's drummer like, with the teacher. And but it's going program. to destroy him right? the way that he's going. Right. Right. Like it's his, I think it's like his need to like his need to be this, this thing this idea that he has of this great drummer to be this thing is going to kill him. This teacher is going to kill him. This way that he's going about it is going to kill him. Like he's getting in car accidents. He's just like, he's completely coming unraveled throughout the course of this. Like you, you look at how he becomes so like how he's just so competitive. Like he, the, the thought of him losing his chair. Yeah. You know, like there's those scenes where it's like, Oh, there's someone who's like, who's going to come in and like, and they're, they're going to take your spot. And he has no power. Like he has like this constant, like his entire life is based on showing up a hundred percent and proving himself over and over and over again. Like just the most stressful environment you could ever live in. Mm -hmm. Like there's no independence. There's no like, you know what? If you don't fucking want me, I'm going to go off and I'm going to do it and I'm going to build it on my own. He's totally dependent and reliant on this person and the system which is like, fuck, there's a huge message in that, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I think all of these movies, you know, that we've been talking about, they're interesting. They have this paradigm, the parallel kind of thing of, you know, the dependence, like what's the attachment the character has that they need to kind of detach from. Cause at the end, I mean, he has total detachment. He's like, fuck it. He's like, yeah. I'm doing what I'm going to do. And that's yeah. the first moment where you see him have full fucking power, right? No, it's always, uh, I, I find that within every story. And, and I, I address this in a certain way with like, with actors is that there, there are certain elements that seem to be common threads in terms of, um, the mind and, and spiritual sort of journey of the character. And usually there's a moment of, of sort of forgiveness or, or a moment where somebody allows, um, love to occur where it never happened before. And, and, that does happen in, in this case where it was just like, he, he, he lets everything go at the end. Like he, he lets it all go. And he says, you know what? Fuck it. I just got embarrassed and I just, whatever, like, but something changes in him. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's like a moment of transcendence. Yeah. Right. Where it's just like, and, and yeah, it was, I think at the end of that, there's something that he lets go. There's something he it's lets like go of. His ego is his pride. Yeah. Cause it gets and destroyed. Just, if you think about it, like that's what embarrassment is. I mean, embarrassment is a destruction of the ego, right? When you get embarrassed, you can't pose to be who you pretended to be. Like embarrassment isn't, is the, is the ego or pride being like, fucking no, that's not true. Yeah. And you're like, Oh the fuck I wanted to look that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and so like, I think what happened for him, his fucking pride and his ego got so fucking destroyed in front of everybody that he was like, 
I got nothing to lose. I got no fucking thing to live up to. And he, he finds the courage inside of him to show up as he actually authentically is. Yeah. Which is fucking crazy. Cause he's he not doing it for anybody yeah, except for not, him. Maybe a little bit of as a fuck you to him. Maybe a little. Yeah. But you know, he, he, he goes out there not needing to impress anybody. No anymore. Like he's just at that spot. He's like, which is why it's so impressive. Yeah. He's like, I've got nothing left to lose. And he, and he just lets it all, lets it all out there. You know what I love about that last scene too? I know we're kind of bouncing around a little, but I love how he fucking comes out and takes charge. Yeah. And I think like that message alone is what, is what people, people and artists particularly is what the lesson we need to learn in life is we need to be able to go out in the world and take it by the fucking balls and say, this is what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And it's, and the thing is, is that it's not, it's not about harming anybody else, yeah. but it's simply about going out there and owning the fact that, you know, if you've worked at something and you've put some effort and time into it is take the stage and, and shine. You know what? And you know what? If you don't shine, you don't shine. But like he knew, like he had worked so fucking hard and he was ready to shine. And he was like, I'm not going to take all the work and all this time and effort I put in, which was genuine yeah. and just fucking let it get blown out because of this asshole. Yeah. I'm going to you know come what? back and he decided that he wasn't yeah. going to be a victim anymore. Right. Cause and, he that, that, and the whole thing, he was a victim to things, right? Yeah. Like all of these things happening. I'm a victim to this. I'm a victim to that. Yeah you know, like I, I have to do this. I'm sorry. Like, like there was no, he had no control over his life leading up to that. It was like, yeah, he was in this music program. He was trying to impress the right people. He was trying to be this thing, but he was, he, he was always falling victim. Somehow there was something that was always not his fault. And he, you see him lashing out and yeah. getting angry and whatever throughout the whole thing. And then at the end, when he was like victimized the most, you know, on that stage, you know, and right before they go out at the end of there, he says to everybody in the band that (laughs) everybody out there, like they're from the labels and they can make your career and they never forget. Right. Right. Like he sets it up. Right. And, and then embarrasses him in front of everybody. Right. And then, yeah, you know what? Oh, sorry. I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and then, he's about to walk off there and his dad to there to console him and be like, be like, Oh man, like, yeah. and it was going to be just the same thing, the same thing happening of, of just bad shit happening. And, uh, and he just decides, no, he makes, he makes a choice that he's like, no, I'm not going to be, be a victim to this, to, to this person, to myself, to anybody. And he goes out there and he, and he takes some control and he f- totally flips the script on him. Totally. Right. Where he's yeah. just like, no, like <laughs> you can do like, he could do the same. He realizes that he has, he has the power yeah. or he has a power in all of this. He has the power in, in a lot of ways he has, he, you know, and that's the thing is like, you know, I think one of the things that that movie showed me, one of the messages is that as artists and I, and I, you know, I have a lot of empathy for actors because, you know, I, I mean, I love acting and I, and I, I think, um, actors are constantly told that they are reliant and dependent on the industry to have their career. And that, you know, they, they play this gamble 
of auditioning all the time over and over and over again, like someone else determines whether you get the role. And I think if you've worked really hard on your acting and you've really put it out there, I think you need to own that shit and you need to go out there in the world and be like, I'm not talking about the actor that's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm good looking and I just showed up and like, I'm cool. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person that's fucking put time and effort and energy and, you know, they've learned and they fucking sacrificed and they fucking ate canned food because they were like, I'm going to fucking act and I'm not, I'm not making excuses and you built your ability and maybe you got some insecurities and some scares, whatever about the whole thing, but you just got to go out there someday and you got to fucking find your light, find your stage and you got to show up and say, I'm going to do this Yeah. and I'm going to do this. And I think that's the thing with him is he's like, you know what? Like at a certain point, it's not about me. It's about, it's about doing this thing and I'm not going to let this fucking world tell me. And you know, what's really interesting was you'll be talking about him. He is kind of a victim throughout the whole story, but I think what makes the movie work so extremely well is he's so active. Yeah. He keeps fighting not to be fighting so hard, but like, he's not like ever passive, like a passive victim is a fucking story destruction model, but like a active person, even if they're a victim is still super compelling because you can like, you can relate to being the victim and still trying to fight. Right. But he's not, it's not like he's ever passive. He's always still trying. Right. And like, even though some of his decisions are misguided and like, you know, obviously he's a flawed character, like great characters are, but he overcomes his own flaws. He overcomes his own victimhood, his own need and his own attachment. And he like rises above it. Yeah. And I'd say the climax is definitely the moment where he goes back on a stage because the rock bottom is when he gets fucking destructed, right? And yeah. he gets in totally embarrassed. And there's a pretty, uh, there's, a, there's like, uh, there's, another rock, there's another rock bottom that happens right before it too, where yeah, it's which like might the be accident, real. he's bleeding and he's on the stage and he can't hold his sticks and, and yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, he gets booted off and then he flips out, he attacks the, the right, teacher right, right. and, and everything. And then he's, Oh yeah, he's pretty much, and, then he's, and yeah, and then he's been kicked out of the school and he hasn't picked up the drums and that's you know, probably he's the given up bottom. and yeah, because I'd say like the, uh, the crisis is the when crisis he's, is, is yeah. when he's been, um, is when kicked he, off stage he's, basically. Yeah. When he's embarrassed Honestly. and comes off stage and then there's the decision in action which is, which is to come back out and put everything that he's got out there just for, just for himself. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, uh, and there's that solo because it's like, you know, he leads everything off. He makes this decision and the teacher's like, there's nothing he can do about it. Right. Yeah. Cause he's playing he's just like, I'm coming out and I'm playing. I'm going to cue the band, whatever. Right. Take some, like, that's the decision. And then he has the solo mm-hmm. like where he just, puts it all out there. Like everything that he's got, everything that he's, he's been working towards, you know, and he, and he lets himself shine, Yeah. you know, like he just allows himself, he gives himself the space to do that. Mm -hmm. And he allows himself to do it. And then through that, and it's like, there's the resolution where it's like him and the, and the teacher, they have this moment of just like, holy shit, you know, like, (laughs) Yeah. Like, and it's, it's, it's weird because I know people who felt really shitty about that. They didn't like it. You know, that, that it, some, I talked to some people who thought that the way that it ended sort of vindicated the teacher for how shitty he was and how awful he was. Um, 
I'm like, well, I don't think that was really it. You know, it's like, it was in some ways the teacher did get him there, but not, not in the way that well, was his intention. The thing is, is that, you know, and I totally, I totally relate to that perspective. And I heard people say that as well, but you know, there's a lack of empathy from the teacher's side of you. I mean, which we aren't even talking about. Yeah. I mean, that guy had reasons. He's, he was a great fucking character. I mean, he had oh, reasons yeah. for why he was doing what he was doing. And I actually, as fucked up as that guy was, <laughs> he, I think he really believed that you need adversity. You need a fucking drum thrown at your head for you to like, yeah. be so sharp that you're like ready, you know? And, um, you know, and I think like his model of life, was a little bit like, I don't know, like I, I think about a person like that. I'm like, where would you need to get, what would need to have happened to you in your life for you to mm-hmm. get to that point? But like he, he truly believed that you need adversity to grow. And I think that that's true. Like, and in a certain way, when I really try his position on, I'm like, you know what, dude, you're an asshole, but you're fucking right. Like you're like, yeah. right. Like, we need adversity. We like, you know, a, a friend said to me, you know, a long time ago, he said, you don't sharpen a sword with a pillow. Yeah. And it's true, man. You don't, if you got a soft coach, a soft fucking mentor, someone who never calls you out on your shit, someone who like, you know, I mean, he was a little too harsh for my opinion, but, but his adversity level, like makes you like a fucking carves you out of wood. Yeah. Like it makes you hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, and he had in to a degree, his character, you could almost say was almost at fault for, for like his approach was based on some old legend stories yeah, that like he'd heard about, you know? And so he's like, Oh yeah. So like this guy did it to him. So I'm going to throw a symbol at your head too. And I'm going to like, that was, he was a bit of a copy. That was, was his inauthenticity. Copy. Yeah, yeah. That was the thing. It's just like, he just like, it was, it was him doing that because, and it was egotistical too, because he wanted to create this next yeah. thing. Right. And, um, that was his, and, that was his fault as a character. That's yeah. what made him an antagonist. Yeah. And, but he was an interesting character. And I remember there was a scene in there and cause you, you could, you could relate to him. Like he had this line, uh, where he, he says, um, good job are like the two good job are the two worst good words job. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Are the um, two worst sayings or something. Yeah. 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 It's like the worst thing to, to say to somebody, mm-hmm. right? Like just like accepting mediocrity right? You know, what's interesting is like, he, he didn't want anyone to settle, but, but at the same time, I think it was a projection of his own settling. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was a poison that he had in, induced into himself that he was like, I don't want you to put the same poison I put into me, into you, you yeah. know? And, and in a way there's a hero about it, but he's a villain. The other thing too is like he, um, he's in a gray area. That was, that's the thing that's kind of unsettling about his character is that like for most people you just go, yeah, it's not, that's like your methods. And because he was saying stuff to like the people, like personal things about them, like just like the most horribly vile vile things to people. Um, and so it was like the, it was his means that you're just like, you know, there's, there's adversity, but it was, he was just like one, he was just like one, two, three steps too far. And he right? had a, he had a, you know, like you said, he had an attachment too. like, I need to find the next best person. You know, I need to find the next best great. Right. And I'm going to make them. And yeah. like, 
he needed that for his legacy and his identity. And, and that's part of what made him fly. His ego was running a yeah. as well. Right. It's like, and that's the thing is like, the other thing is his belief system was kind of, in my opinion, was kind of flawed. I mean, some people will disagree with me there, but his whole idea of like that some people are born with it and some people aren't. And like, you know, you're, you're just like, if you don't fucking meet my standards, you're done, you know, kind of ideas like, you know, recent education models have shown that the whole biology, like predisposition, genealogy has eight millimeter fucking fraction of an impact. Like it's just so small because I mean, it does have an impact. It actually does. But, um, it's just such a small fraction that it really doesn't matter. The things that make the real big difference are mostly foundational learning and, and the built willpower of the person. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, if, if that person, like, in fact, what's ironic is that I bet, and I bet you could do this. And I don't know if there's a study out there that's done this, but you could take people who actually biologically or theoretically were born with actually shittier, worse genes were given the fucking worst cards ever are actually more successful and better in our world than people who are given the best genes. And the reason why is because through adversity, we actually tend to thrive more than when we're given gifts. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's an old, very, very old saying, they say, uh, beauty is the worst curse you could be ever be given Mm. because if you're given beauty, you're given everything. So you never learn to earn it. Um, and in our culture, that's more true than ever. You know, look at, I feel like I'm slagging, but look at Kim Kardashian. I mean, what does she fucking offer? <laughs> I mean, other than like, you got a nice ass and you know, whatever, like, you know, and, and the, and the thing is though, is like, what real value are you offering beyond your beauty? And the problem is, is like, there's, there's great that there's a need for that. And she's, she's using that and she's making her fortune out of that. And that's fine. You know, like all, all the power to her, but she'll never, you know, in a way, a person who has that kind of fame and recognition, they don't learn to build and and earn it. And, you know, I have no idea what she feels like or whatever. I'm sure she's fucking loving it, living her luxury life, but there's a certain kind of self-esteem you lose when you don't get to earn your life, you know? And so like, um, his model was a little bit kind of flawed in the sense that he was like, if you don't, if you, if you aren't kind of that person, like, that you're somehow like not good enough. And it's like, he, he wasn't like a great mentor. Like he wasn't a really good mentor. In my opinion, he was good at like trying to get you to be extremely great, but he wasn't a good mentor because he wasn't willing to take someone who was kind of flawed and be like, you know what? I see your flaw and I'm going to help you not only evolve that flaw, but once you evolve that, I'm going to help you take that and make you into a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. He's like, Nope, you're not good enough. Fuck off. I want the next person that's better than you. Cause I want someone to bring most of the work to the table and then I'll refine their work. Yeah. He wasn't like kind of mentor that was like going to help you fill in the yeah. gaps. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just trying to take this back to like, okay, so what's his dilemma, right? Yeah. What is and I've heard, And it's like, yeah. uh, and in, in Jeff Kitchen's book, how to write a great movie, he like, he puts it like, it, you know, to, the good place to start is you start with, it is unacceptable for me to this but it is equally unacceptable for me to this, right? So it's unacceptable for him to give up on this thing that he loves more than anything. Like the main it's character clear. or yeah. the antagonist? The, no, the main character okay. in here. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm just, just cause I was focused on the antagonist. No, I gotcha. I, wanted, yeah. I gotcha. And, I, okay. and I'm just trying to like, 
like bring this back to the story. Yeah, yeah. But I like it. I like what you were saying. Um, rants, man. You know, you know, a podcast without rants. I mean, I wouldn't want. Oh yeah. <laughs> what else is it really? Isn't it all just a rant? Um, but it's unacceptable for t- to give up on what he loves, right? It's unacceptable for him to give up drumming, right? Yeah. To get because he does. He loves it more than anything. It's all. It's he lives like we see that through the whole thing. It's like, it's, he lives and breathes it. He bleeds for it. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's everything to him. Um, and he's willing to sacrifice so much, but so it's unacceptable for him to give it up, but it's equally unacceptable for him to do it in the way that he's, he's been doing it. Right. Like, because it's like, he's getting in, into car accidents. Like he is, he's there's, there's himself. no, there's no joy. Yeah. He's losing the joy in this thing that he actually loves. So it's it's unacceptable for him to to be doing this under I don't know, maybe it's it's um these circumstances or these to, types of uh methods to those methods or to to drum under the pressure of somebody else's ideals. Right? To 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 be doing it for somebody else you know, to, to meet somebody else's standard. Yeah. You know, that's right? a There's really something good, good around point you there, bring up because the teacher's standards were not his standards in, in many ways. Like, like, you know, it's a really, what he wasn't even, a, he wasn't able to be his, like, he wasn't able to be his own drummer. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he was so focused and concentrated on getting the timing, his timings, you know, not my tempo. Maybe. Not my tempo. That's interesting that that whole scene, not my tempo, because that was kind of a changing moment for him where it was just like, it was, it was all about how he wanted it. Right. And it left no room for him to be any kind of a drummer of his own. Right. Like he wasn't able to be his own person underneath. And I think that was where he was. The teacher was flawed in a big way was that yeah. it's like he, it was his standard, everything, what he thought was great was his standard, but that was a limitation, totally. even though it was still a very high expectation. He had a very high standard. It was still a limitation. And ultimately he was able to transcend his limitations. Right. Hmm. It's interesting. You know, this, this, um, you know, without flexibility, without any type of freedom, where is the artistry in it all? Right. Like we come back to the industry artistry talk and I think back of like those great musicians. And I think about some of the great, um, bands I've just seen, just awesome bands I've seen recently. And they let the guitarist or the drummer or whoever have a fucking solo. They just like, they let them do it, you know? And they, and they, like the last band I saw, they just fucking stopped and they let everyone have a solo. And it was fucking awesome. It was one of these great moments. And it's like, if you don't, if you kind of keep everyone confined, you know, you don't get to explore. And like the thing about coming to that, like last concert, which was, um, actually falling for Scarlet with, with Lee Tomaszewski, um, who, who we've been meaning to have on the show. Yeah. We've been meaning to get on the show. Um, was interesting because that makes the show so much more interesting. It's not just like they did some of their original songs. They did a couple covers. They were all great, but they also let them do the solos. And the thing is, if you buy the CD, you don't get that experience. You know, you don't get those types of experiences. Right. So like, that's the thing about artistry is artistry is kind of a little bit on the fly. It's a little bit like, 
let's roll with this, you know, yeah. because this is the experience when you get, when you actually come out to the concert, when you get involved. And I think like, why would you go out to a concert other than maybe to interact with the people? If everything is like, you might as well play the fucking CD. I mean, yeah. you know, because, but now you get the stage performance, you get the, the presence, you get the interactivity, you get the, the little bits that the act, the artists say in between the songs, like, yeah. Hey everybody, like blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. You get the yeah. energy of, of them being there and, and great bands too. Yeah. They give, um, you watch them sort of, uh, play and improvise and they, and, and you get to see the music sort of work through them you know, and, and it's, it can be a very different experience than it is a very different experience than just listening to it. Totally. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we've, we've run our time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure we have. <laughs> we have run our time. We broke down three movies mostly, at least two, Yeah. kind of one and a half, two and a half. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been fun, man. I like yeah. doing this. We, we got to do this every once in a while. Do we have closing comments for this or? Uh, yeah. Let's close it off. Um, what did you take from it? Um, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, well, it's, you know it's, what I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I took. If yeah. you're, if you're struggling for the idea, are you? No, go for it. Go, go, go. Well, what I found was that talking about movies this way and trying to like, just break them down and understand them a little bit more. I'm realizing that, um, it helps me clarify my own ideas about a movie and what you shared showed me something about a movie that's important to you that I never really saw before, which is I'm going to take away from this is I'm going to look at movies and I'm going to look at everything a little bit deeper because I'm realizing that my seeing a movie is not like, is not complete. In fact, I see a movie, I have an experience and part of my experience is expanded by talking to someone else, particularly if they really love that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing if you talk to another person and you were liked it and they didn't. And so they're like, oh, I don't like it because this, this and this and go, oh, okay. But it's really neat when you talk to someone, like when you talked about almost famous, you really love that movie. I can tell. And your insights into it were things I hadn't seen before in spite of seeing that movie. And in spite of even using it in film courses to break down, I was like, Whoa, I never even really, I didn't even look at it at that level. And I'm just makes me think I have 500 movies just staring at me on the shelf. I'm like, how many movies do I not fully understand? Like, I mean, I understand them on a certain level, but like how much deeper could I understand them all? How conscious are you of, of, of it? Yeah. And the greater messages. And I think like, you know, um, the whole idea of almost famous, like I think about that when I was younger and how that was kind of a, that very struggle those characters are going through, how I went through that struggle, you know, and, um, how important that is to communicate and like what a gift that that movie communicates that. So it just, it made me think a little bit more about the deeper meaning and the messages of these movies. Um, so that's what I would leave people with is I'd say like, you know, enjoy your movies, take in your content, you know, watch your action scenes and all the great acting and, you know, work on your craft. But like, I think at the end of the day as artists, like we are the gift of these great movies is that we're communicating something so much deeper about humanity. And that's really what it's about. And I think sometimes we're, we're just trying to be good and we're trying to be good actors, good filmmakers, good writers, good musicians. And we forget that like, yeah, that's important, 
But what's really important is the emotional impact and the, and the message underneath it all. That's, yeah. that's what really matters. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it really comes down to the message and this is something that whether you're in film or not, this can be a great way to engage with film on a much deeper level. Like I've never talked really about almost famous as many times as I've seen it. Like I had like realizations about what the story is about that I've never really was consciously aware of, but it was all right there. You know, Mm -hmm. I was able to like sort of suss it out and and go like, Oh yeah, that's really interesting. And same thing with fight club. Like I seeing that in a whole new light and in how it's in extraordinary complexity, um, that goes with it, but it's, it can be such an enriching thing to do something as, as kind of simple as this and, and to look for those deeper messages. Like, even though it's like, yeah, like, you know, you start off. And the other thing that I really enjoyed about this is, you know, we're by doing a a structural breakdown on it, you know, and you're like, ah, it's structural. Like you're going to kill all of it. It's like, not at all, you know, by looking at some of the structure of it, we're actually able to discover some of the meaning in it. You know, it's like the the structure doesn't give it the meaning, but like it can help us to, to understand how important these meanings are. Right. Like it's, um, cause that's all they're really there, there to help us do is to, is to help us express, um, bigger ideas and bigger themes and, and to connect us, um, to each other and, and to ourselves and, and to life in, in some broader senses and to communicate some bigger themes. Right. So I think that was kind of what was interesting about this for me as well is just like, cause I was, there was like a little part of me. It's like, Oh, are we going to like break down our favorite movies? And then just like, they're going to lose their magic. <laughs> you <laughs> no, know, they gained like, more no, magic. They gained some more magic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, like, like, I wow, literally more like, appreciation for it. When I like tonight, before I go to sleep, I think I'm going to watch, I might even watch them back to back. I'm going to watch <laughs> almost famous and, uh, and fight club again, just cause I want to watch them again with what we just talked about. Cause yeah. I'm like, it's excited me about it. Like, I'm like, man, like, you know, even talking about Fight Club, as much as I understand it, you you know, I totally agree with you. Like getting to vocalize it helped me kind of solidify some ideas. And I'm like, yeah. And and I feel like that's the great thing about really great movies is you watch them when you experience them the first time, your place and time in your life, and then you're in another place and time in your life and you watch the movie again. But if it's a really good movie that holds up, you get more out of it because you see it in another way. Yeah there's another guest I want to have on the show. Um, and she was pointing out to me, she was like, you know, I watched this movie at this time in my life. And I watched it again at this time in my life. And when I watched it the first time I related with the kid, cause I was a kid at that time. She was talking about the exorcist, for example. Oh. But then she was like, but then I watched it again. And she's like, you know, what's really interesting is I related to the mother and her struggle and I was, or whatever, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, like, yeah, how interesting. Like, that's the thing is like, when we watch a movie, we're probably going to tend to relate more to the person that's more like us at that time. And so like, you know, it's interesting because my dad and I both watched fight club around the same time. We both went through relatively the same scenario. He was the father. I was the son, but his experience of it was not the same as my experience of it, which could be telling of where he was at his life and where I was at my life. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, yet, Um, and also like, I mean, we didn't experience the same scenario in the same way. He was the earner. I was kind of the, the kid, but, (laughs) but, uh, you know, (laughs) 
but, um, you know, it might've confronted his issues a little bit more than it confronted mine because, um, I may, may basically hadn't built my life on materialism, whereas maybe he had yeah. at that time. Um, and so confronting those issues like here, Hey, your materialism is bullshit. You might've not been ready to hear, but for me, because I hadn't, you know, I was still a little bit more open to my ideas because I was so young. I was a little bit like, Whoa, like, holy shit. Like things are not really what are important. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, anyway, but you know, yes, yeah. well, this was, just, this was great. Yes. I would love to do this again. I feel like yeah, we should make do- a regular thing of this. Totally. I agree. Let's do it. It was a good chat, man. All right. Later. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.